everybody. It is 10.02 p.m. here on the East Coast, Monday, July 25th. My name is Pat Finn, up in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. We got Billy Ray up in wherever he is in Rhode Island. And Portsmouth. Then we have Portsmouth, Rhode Island. And we have a very special guest on the podcast this evening, Packy Naughton of the St. Louis Cardinals. But before we jump into the pod, as we always do, we got to give some shout outs to our friends at the Main Street Pharmacy, and we got to do a hokey haiku. So Jeremy Counts, we love you, Dr. Jeremy of the Main Street Pharmacy. He takes care of the Blacksburg and Virginia Tech community. You go in there, you fill your prescription, you, you pick up a Sons of Saturday t-shirt, you get a Gatorade, you get some Pedialyte, maybe some Advil, I don't know. And uh, you might even want to play some Mrs. Pac-Man because they got that going on in there too. Head on down to the Main Street Pharmacy. Tell Dr. Jeremy the sun sent you because when you go to the Main Street Pharmacy, they treat you like a neighbor, not a number. All right, let's roll into this hokey haiku. This is we're going to do this one right off the cuff here. Uh, so bear with me, everyone. Do you have is Packy thinking of one? It looks like get, you do yours, Pat. It looks like Packy's thinking of no, one. No, no, I do not have one. No, somebody's, okay. knocking, <laughs> somebody's knocking at my door. Hold on. <laughs> they call him Packy Poet. All right. Um, Packy on the pod swooping in like a red bird. Oh, the South Paw is here. And you incorporated the team name. I think you did a fantastic job, Pat. We're going to roll in. We've, this is actually extremely overdue. We've been waiting to do this podcast for a long time. I've gotten a lot of crap from Packy Naughton. We, we may have had some some other guests, and he's like, dude, am I ever going to get on the podcast? It's been a long never time. Never thought I was. Never but thought I was. Marketing man Mitchell knew that there was going to be a time to get you on the pod. And as soon as I saw the fist, the fist pump and the yell into the ground, after straight after getting three straight outs with the bases loaded against the Dodgers, I said, Boom! There's our moment. Book them, bring them on the pod. Pat, <laughs> roll the intro for Packy Not, please. All right. So, hailing from Massachusetts, Packy Naughton, born five days after Billy Ray in April. He wrote, he writes in here. <laughs> you know, Billy Ray's a big birthday guy. You know? <laughs> Billy Ray's gonna be turning like Billy Ray's gonna turn like 46 years old and he's gonna be like reposting every Instagram like story. It's like, let's go, it's my birthday. Um all right. 100%. Packy uh, attended Boston Latin School in Boston, Mass. Following his high school career, enrolled at Virginia Tech to play for the Hokies. Truly blossomed in the Cape Cod League for the Harwich Mariners. And when he was there, he was named a league all-star. Went 3-0 in seven games after 42 and two-thirds innings, 42 strikeouts, and only eight runs allowed in the Cape Cod League that year. And after completing his junior year, he was drafted by the Cincinnati Reds in the ninth round of the 2017 MLB draft. Five years later, he is a proud St. Louis Cardinal. So, Packy, you know, we'll start it off with the tech career. Let's talk about your journey to Virginia Tech. You know, there's a lot of great Hokies that have come to Blacksburg from the Boston area, from New England. We love all of them. Ian Seymour, Joe Friday, Logan Bible, Phil Sharetta. You know, where did this pipeline or connection uh, of Massachusetts baseball stars to Virginia's tech start. 
And why did you decide to go to Virginia Tech? Honestly, I have no clue where it started. Um, I'm assuming so. The uh, head coach that I actually committed to, Pete Hughes, um, he's from Franklin, Massachusetts. And I think it's Franklin. It's somewhere in Western Massachusetts. And uh, so I think he always recruited guys up from Massachusetts and, and brought them down to Virginia Tech. So I think that him going up there and recruiting up there and then me going and and being in the class behind Ryan Tufts and then two behind Fulcheretta, and just seeing like guys of that caliber go down to Virginia Tech definitely uh, helped bring everyone there. So when you look back at your Virginia Tech career, and we're about to jump into the the Cape Cod League, which I think you know if 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 you know Packy and you followed his story, that's where a huge light bulb went off. When you came into Virginia Tech, what aspects of your game were you looking to improve upon the most, and how would you summarize how you grew as a player and you grew as a person at Virginia Tech? Yeah, definitely. Um, so when I went into Virginia Tech, I definitely wanted to throw more off speed, more consistently and obviously in the zone and kind of where I want. And then also tried to command the ball a little bit more um, up in Boston. You know, you can kind of get away with throwing. If you throw decently hard, you can kind of get away with throwing fastballs down the middle and striking a bunch of people out. Um, and if you throw anything that kind of spins, it throws everyone for a loop. So it gets kind of simplified at times um and especially going down and being in the acc you know you obviously have to be a different kind of pitcher than a than a one mix one pitch mixed guy and um so going down there i definitely needed to sharpen up my uh my off-speed command and 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 you know my overall strike zone consistency um and then what was the second part of the question billy what was the second part of the question Billy? <laughs> Pat, do you remember what the second part of the question was? No. How did you how did you transform your oh how did you grow as a person outside of Virginia Tech? Oh, how did I oh yeah. Billy, there we go. Billy, Billy was a big part of me transforming as a person at Virginia Tech. I think Billy's smile is like the first person I saw when I first got onto Virginia Tech. He came down in like a tank top in size 64 shorts. And it was just <laughs> I saw him and Chris Durkin, but that's besides the point. Um, so how did I kind of grow as a person? I mean, I met people from all over the country, you know, I know people in anywhere from California to Ohio to Florida, you know, every corner of, of the country. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to find out uh, a lot of different things about different ways of life and, you know, cultural differences and just so many different ways of living that, you know, I grew up in Massachusetts where stuff's one way and people that grow up in Florida do things a different way. And it just kind of like shows you how big the world is and how, you know, everyone's different and everyone can kind of have their own way of doing stuff. And I think that's pretty cool. So in the time where I was still in Blacksburg running around in my size 65 shots uh, and you went down to the Cape Cod league, I want to ask you, we ran, we rambled through the stats before three and you were an all-star. What clicked for you and that summer league at Cape Cod. I remember having this conversation with Ian Seymour. This is going to be crazy to say. We talked to Ian like two years ago. It's crazy to think that it's been that long. Um, but when Ian Seymour went down to the Cape Cod League, he developed a new pitch. I, I don't remember if he started throwing a two-seam fastball or a four-seam fastball. Um, the Cape Cod League, for those of the for those who don't know what it is, what is it? And what really clicked for you in your time there? Yeah, so the Cape League is uh, it's it's a summer baseball league that's 
said to be the one of the best summer leagues in the country for collegiate baseball. Now you can say um, it. it is. It is. I mean, here in Newport, people are buzzing about the Cape Cod League. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you, you just get, you know, the top prospects um, from literally all over the country, from every big name school and big name conference to come and, um, everyone kind of plays for the summer against each other. So you get really good competition and you get a little bit of everything. Cause I mean, in baseball, you kind of see d- different conferences kind of have different styles of play and kind of recruit towards different style of, of, of players. Um, so getting all that and seeing all that as one up in one league is pretty cool. Um, but kind of what, what, what clicked for me down there was I, I had to call my own game. You know, I was going and I was throwing catches that had never caught me before, you know, in college, they call the pitches and you have the ability to shake off, but you kind of just trust what the coaches have done and the research they've done and, and, you know, hope everything is going to work out, but down the Cape, you know, you're going in, you're working with a catcher that's never caught you before. So um, he doesn't know how your stuff moves. He doesn't know what your best pitch is, what you're confident in throwing in certain counts and, you know, so going down there and knowing myself and having to realize what I need to do in order to get out definitely uh, is what kind of upticked my game a bit for me. So then moving on uh, again, taken in the ninth round of the 2017 MLB draft. When did you start to have some buzz that that was a potential kind of walk us through the entire drop draft process, uh, getting drafted by the uh, Cincinnati Reds after your junior year? Yeah. So uh, my. I guess when I was down the Cape and actually my sophomore year, I was getting a little bit of look from um, some big league teams just from, cause I, I had decent stuff. I could throw the ball decently hard from the left side and scouts like that. Um, so kind of put me on their radar like that. And then uh, the reds actually ended up calling me in the, I want to say eighth round and said, Hey, would you, would you sign in the ninth and blah, blah, blah. We ended up obviously agreeing, um, but I actually got, you know, and it, it's crazy because draft day comes and I, I knew I wasn't going to go on day one, but I thought day two was definitely my day. And, you know, the whole time, you know, you're getting calls and it's like the draft is going on. You're getting calls. So it's like bang, bang, bang. You're like on the phone. You got to make sure you have service. And so there's a lot of a lot of energy going on and it's a pretty uh, emotional day for sure. Um, but, you know, grateful for the Reds for taking me in the ninth round and giving my start for sure. And then uh, it is what it is from there. Right. So then we jump into your major league career, which started with the Billings Mustangs in the Rookie League, then the Daytona Dragons, Class A. Dayton. 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 Sorry, Dayton. The Dayton Dragons. We did go to Daytona, though. So then you go to the Daytona Tortugas after that. That's Class A, Advanced Florida State League. The first place that I saw you go, I came on down to Daytona. That was awesome. Love Mm -hmm. seeing Daytona. Uh, And then Chattanooga Lookouts. We mentioned mm-hmm. in Chattanooga, which was great, which is class double A Southern League. And you wrapped up your first year with an 11 and 12 record with a 3.32 ERA, 131 Ks in 157 innings. What were some of the biggest lessons that you took away from year one in uh, Major League Base- Major League Baseball system? Uh, yeah. So, you know, going out there, I had like this little kind of wasn't an injury, but this kind of like just bugging little tightness in my shoulder that I kind of had to work through each game. And so I wasn't able to really thrive and velocity wise, I wasn't able to be kind of where I wanted to be. So I had to learn how to pitch. And, you know, when, when you learn how to pitch and 
you know, you learn how to sequence and kind of how to play stuff off your fastballs and where you're locating stuff and who will chase, who won't chase, who's a first pitch swinger, stuff like that. Um, that kind of really helped me not throwing hard kind of really helped me realize how to become a pitcher, um, which I think everybody needs to do. It, it, I mean, without that or without learning, you know, how to pitch, how to sequence, how to do all that, it's hard to succeed. And obviously there are guys that can, because I mean, at the end of the day, you know, stuff plays and, and if you're nasty enough, you'll get guys out for sure. Um, but you know, I say velo for me and my velo, you know, if I get up to 95, it's a good day. So, um, it's all kind of to each his own. Right. Um, but yeah. So here's the question I've asked you this question a million different times in different phrasing. And, um, I'm interested to see what answer we get this time. I would just have such a hard time. You get drafted by the GM and the coach, of the reds. And then you're going through multiple different coaches, multiple different pitching coaches and everything else. How is it difficult to be able to understand what the major league or the next level up for you needs you to work on versus what maybe the other coach needs? Or is it very aligned? I just kind of want to understand that. Because look, working at Twilio, I have one boss. I have a performance review with him and I know exactly what I need to do. Yo, you really need to sell more software. Yo, you really need to sell more support plans. Yo, you need to change your Zoom background because I'm sick of looking at your bed behind you. And now I got these beautiful books. So how exactly did they tell you, hey, this is what we need you to work on. This is where we need you to focus or this is what you're doing really well. How how are you able to measure that? Yeah. So, I mean, it, like you said, for you, it's you need to sell more software. For me, I might need to throw a better slider. I might need to improve on, you know, my, my fastball command. You know, like we all have these steps that we have to work on and, you know, everyone's always working on certain stuff. Um, but going up through each organization, like some organizations – like different styles of pitchers like some will like guys that throw really hard and have really good sliders some like guys that are you know put the ball in play and, and you know let the defense work some are you know we only want strikeouts you know it just kind of depends organization organization um and you know kind of going from each organization you know when you go to an organization it's usually because they want you for the pitch that you are so just and that's kind of comes down to knowing yourself and knowing what you do, like, I know I'm not going to go out there and strike out 18 per nine. I know that I, I need to put the ball in play and, and, you know, let my defense work and, um, you know, throw strikes and get ahead of hitters. And like, that's how I have to pitch. And that's how I like pitching. Um, so it kind of just all depends based on where you are and what organization. And, you know, you kind of can filter some things in and, and keep other things out and, you know, have conversations with certain people and figure out what you need to do and what, you know, you may might not need to do just depends. So then on August 31st, the Reds trade you and Jose Salvador to the angels for Brian Goodwin. What was that process like from understanding, Hey, I could be traded to being traded to, you know, I always, I've never been able to ask somebody what that entire process is like. Can you kind of walk us through that, that timeline when that all happened? Yeah, it's kind of, it was the, honestly, I had no idea how it worked either. And it was like quite literally eight minutes before the trade deadline, I get a call and it's, Hey, you're traded. Um, the angels will be in touch. And then 30 minutes go by. I call my agent. I'm like, Hey, I got traded, but I haven't heard anything that he's like, okay, you, you should hear something soon. And I don't know about 
30, 45 minutes went by and they called me and they were like, Hey, we're happy to have you. Can you get on a plane tomorrow morning? And this is, so I think the trade deadline was at like four or four o'clock Eastern, five Eastern, something like that. So, and they were literally like, can you get on a flight tomorrow at 7 a.m.? It's like, yeah, sure. I'll be there. And so you just pick up and, and go again. So then, and we won't skip over this. You miss all of 2020 after that. You got on a new team and 2020 is is completely gone. Like, what was 2020 like for you? Um, just pandemic baseball, like MLB was kind of going on. What were you doing and how are you working out? And how did you really just manage the highs and lows of the 2020 season? 2020 was tough, guys. Um, it was uh, it was a long year for me. Um, working out, you know, something and just doing workouts. I bought some free weights and a couple kettles and a TRX. Uh, you know, I was doing that at local parks and uh, the Angels. I was out at their site, so I was out in Long Beach, California, training at the alt site. So I was able to throw and do stuff there. But when I was back in Massachusetts, I was actually playing for the local men's league called the Park League. Um, and yeah, I was playing up there, just kind of keeping my arm going. Cause I mean, the middle of the pandemic, there's no baseball season. I had to keep going cause we could have started up at any second. And so, uh, yeah, I was just kind of doing that and hanging out and trying to stay ready. So then we get into Definitely 2021, tough. we get into 2021 where you're assigned with the rocket city trash pandas an all time name. Uh, that is the double A South team. You make one start and then you're promoted to the South, South, the Salt Lake Bees, triple A West organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to walk you through those emotions because we we've had, we've had off the cuff conversations about kind of working your way up through the Reds organization, going to a new organization. You sit out for a year of COVID. How challenging was that to sit out a year on a new team, go to double A and then have to basically reprove yourself within an organization. How were you able to mentally approach that? How did you handle all of that? Yeah, that was definitely tough too. I mean, you're going in, you're learning all new faces. You're learning what new staffs want from you. Um, and again, my so or not again, but the GM that actually traded for me, he had left the Angels. And so a new GM had come in. So I had to, we had, you know, it was a new system being learned and kind of, you know, like you said, you got to reprove yourself in every aspect. You know, you're going into these new faces and they're like, okay, like we traded for you, but we haven't seen you do anything. You haven't done anything for us. So, I mean, you kind of got to go. And then going back to double A after I just won you know, pitcher of the year for the Reds in 2019 in, and I spent over a hundred innings in double A. So it was kind of like a little, uh, you know, a little depressing at times, but, you know, you just got to kind of keep your head down and keep going. And, you know, luckily I was only there for quite literally like five days, but, um, you know, you just keep going and then you get up to triple A and at that time, you're just, you're literally an injury away, you know? And so you just got to keep your head down. Like I said, keep going and, you know, hope your name gets called eventually, which it was for me. To double tap on that. We've heard a lot of stories about what it's like living in the minor leagues. And and I got a, a, an awakening of this when we all came down and we surprised you. I think it was the time in Daytona. We're like, Oh, we're going to go see Packy. And we're just good. We'll just crash by him. And then we found out, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know Packy was living in a house with eight people and literally sleeping on the floor in air mattresses. 
Can you kind of just talk about the grind that is minor league baseball and how much you really need to, I, I think it is a perfect example of how much you need to love baseball to stick through that. Like we talk about, you know, you're in the major leagues doing all this awesome stuff. What were some of those really difficult times working in minor leagues? Yeah, definitely. So, and you know, I'm so grateful for every host family that I had and very fortunate to have had some great host families in my career. And without host families, you know, minor league baseball probably wouldn't be very possible. Um, you know, we used to use them. Well, now they're in apartments and stuff, so it's different, but um, it, it, they, you know, helped us so much. It saved us so much money and, you know, they were great people. Um, but my first year in Billings, we were in a bedroom with three, it was, there were three beds in the bedroom with one bathroom and it was just a little tight, you know, it was just small cramped in a host family, you know, with two guys that I had never met before. And, you know, a family that we were in Billings, Montana, you know, I just didn't, I didn't know anyone. You just got to kind of trust these people. And then, um, in Dayton, you know, we had a, a, a big basement, but there were one, two, three, four or five people sleeping there, sleeping in, in the, in the one and a half bedrooms that were down there, you know? So <laughs> there was, there's just, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of bodies in a small area, but again, you're very grateful because they're giving you a place to sleep for free and not asking for anything in return. I think that's super generous of them. Um, so um, you just got to kind of, you got to really love it, man. You're making no money. You're making 1500 bucks a month if that. So you just got to kind of be aware of what you're spending, how you're going about stuff and figure it out. You know, you, you always figure it out some way, shape or form. So you've been put through some serious trials with that, but on the bright side, you know, you learned a lot, Packy, from being in the minors. What would you say was the most rewarding moment of your minor league experience? Um, most, I, I'd probably say, you know, I just look back and see like all the, the progress that I've kind of, where I've come from, um, and, and how much progress I've made from, you know, the second I stepped foot on the mound in Billings, Montana, to where I am now and the type of pitcher I've become and how I've progressed. And, you know, when you get drafted, you're like, oh, I can't wait to make it to the big leagues or will I ever get there? You know, these guys are so good and, you know, you really have to trust the process and just trust in yourself and have a lot of belief in yourself. and know that if you put in the work, you know, good things will come and, and good things will end up happening for you. And speaking of those good things, August 8th, 2021, this is after you had been called up and put on the roster. Everybody flies out to see the Dodgers. Everybody flies out to see you. And of course, as fate would have it, the day that everybody's flight leaves. The day that everybody leaves. Is, is the day that you get to make your major league debut against the Los Angeles Dodgers in Dodger Stadium. Not even going to talk about the game. Just walk me through the emotions of that of that day, of the culmination from cuz I got the touchy feelies. I was emotional, everybody was emotional. It's a moment that you know, we had all been waiting for and there's a lot of pressure on you Pat. Like ever there was never like really a doubt. It was like we probably we probably were dreaming of that day more than anybody else including yourself. And then when it finally happens, to see you walk out, and I know we tweeted out a video of you walking out. Just walk us through the emotions of, of going into your first major league game in a historic stadium like uh, Dodger Stadium. Yeah, so, I mean, it was obviously really cool in a day that, luckily, I, I, I'll 
always remember, you know, you'd hear some people blacking out and not remembering it. Um, but I, I remember every second of, of what happened. I remember, you know, every pitch, every, everything that happened, everything in the field, you know, it was a really cool day for me. Um, just like all the hard work finally came, it, it came to fruition and, and my, one of my dreams had come true, you know, and that's a pretty cool thing, especially like, you know, I grew up saying I want to be a, a major league baseball player and like it, it came true, you know, it's, it's as simple as that. And, and, you know, it, it was, it was just a really, really special moment for my family and I. So after that, you have a great, you have a really good season. You're one of Joe Madden's favorites. We're watching all the press conferences. You're doing great. I got, saw you against the Padres. I watched you against the Yankees. You're literally throwing pitches against some of the guys that, you know, I've been watching for years and years and years. And you got the, you got the COVID curveball in 2020. And then in 2021, what do they throw at you? They throw a lockout at you in 2021. And for those of you who may not be following the roster, um, the Angels organization was an organization that did not have a lot of lefty arms. So as you're kind of doing the math, you're saying Packy Naughton sitting in a really good position with this organization. Uh, and then fast forward to March 18th, 2022, you were designated for assignment for the Angels and then swiftly scooped up by the St. Louis Cardinals. You're pre- what are you thinking to yourself at this point? I have to prove myself again in another organization with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um how was that to not for, cause during a lockout, you're unable to talk to GMs. You're unable to talk to coaches. How are you going through that and just kind of focusing on what you need to focus on? Yeah. So that was, that was probably the toughest moment in my baseball career so far was getting designated, especially in the organization that gave me my, my opportunity and gave me my chance in the big leagues. Um, and especially after, you know, I worked really hard during the off season and during the lockout to come into spring training, ready to go and ready to make a team out of spring training. And, you know, I threw a bullpen and threw a live and they were just, I guess they weren't having it. So, um, got designated and, uh, got picked up by the Cardinals and yeah, I mean, I went in and, and did I have to prove myself again? Yeah. But like I said, I worked really hard this off season and, and that showed. And to summarize it, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for the Angels for giving me my opportunity. But um, I'm excited, excited to be with the Cardinals and, and, you know, have our opportunities in St. Louis. So that kind of summarizes the timeline, you know, the uh, the rising action here of Packy's career uh, in the MLB. Now, let's talk about being in the show. You know, you've shared a locker room with guys like Albert Pujols. Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, Yadier Molina, you know, stars around the league. What has that been like for you to go from, you know, some of these people being, you open up a pack of baseball cards and you're hoping you get Albert Pujols. Oh, all of a sudden he's sitting a few, uh, a few seats over in the locker room. They're your peers now. What does that mean to you? And what has that been like for you? It's been awesome. I mean, just the amount of stuff that you can learn just by watching how they go about their day and how they go about their business. There's a reason that Albert has 22 years in the big leagues. You know, there's a reason Yachty has however many gold gloves and, and Wayno and, you know, Goldie are not Nolan. It's, it's just, it's crazy how much, you know, experience and how much knowledge is really in that locker room. And, and, you know, how much they're willing to share it with you and how much they want to share it with you. And, and, you know, that's what makes all these guys professionals, you know, they want to grow the game and they want to, to show you, you know, 
how they did it. Cause I mean, between our locker room, I mean, we, we have so many guys that, that are probably going to be on hall of fame ballots, if not in the hall of fame, you know? So it, it's just, there's some really, really cool knowledge and cool experience that you can learn from in the locker room. And I'm very, very grateful for it. Who are some of the players that you have met along the way, uh, whether it be teammates, off-season training, coaches? Who are some of the people that have really been mentors for you or people that um, you really gravitate towards to or helped you grow along the way? Yeah, so I'd say for coaches, uh, definitely my pitching, my lifelong pitching coach or from the time I was 13, 14 years old, Ace Adams. Um, he was actually a pitching coach in the Cardinals organization at one point. He was a pitching coach in the Astros organization, the Tigers organization. Like I said, the Cardinals, um, he's been around baseball for so long. And, you know, he kind of got me my, you know, base mechanics. And, you know, he's the, the reason that I am the pitcher I am today. Um, you know, I, I, my wind up, my mechanics, everything I do was, was taught to me by, by ACE. And, you know, so for him to, to, you know, help me with that, he has a huge influence on me. Um, and then also Seth Etherton from the Cincinnati Reds when I was in uh, short season and also in low A, um, I had Seth as my pitching coach. Who's actually, he just took the job as the university of Southern California's uh, new pitching coach. Um, and he's going to do a great job over there, but you know, he's the reason that I, I kind of had a lot of success later in my, uh, in my professional career, just from one little adjustment that he kind of made with me and, and helped me with, and, you know, having him help me with that was, you know, made again, made me who I am today. So between the two of them, you know, I've had a lot of, a lot of gratitude towards them. Before we get into our uh, fan submitted questions, and thank you to all the St. Louis Cardinal fans. I'm not sure if we have a lot of St. Louis Cardinal Virginia Tech crossover. Shout out to Gary <laughs> Watson and future Jaden Watson. They they, they yes. really need to check the box, but we do have some of those. But first, a couple rapid fire questions. You got any pregame rituals? Are you do you know, are you doing anything weird? You laying your socks out? You have any like pregame rituals that you have to do um before before you head out? No, not really. Um I do the same. I mean, I always, I always get ready the same way. And I always tie my shoes the same way. I always shower before going out. Do you, um, so like, I, okay. Are you showering different or tying your, what do you mean you tie your shoes the same way? You do like, you, you got a weird bunny ear thing going on. Is there like a different? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, I, I, I mean, so like, it's all, it's all, there's a, there's a routine for everything. Oh, okay. I thought you had some weird way of tying your shoes or something like that. Okay. Well, I mean, I can't, I mean, I guess I, I, I guess I kind of do. Can we get so a demo? I like, I mean, no. <laughs> like, I don't have a cleat with me. Okay. So my laces, so the thing is with my laces, I went at the beginning of the season or when I first get them, I tie them pretty tight. And so like the laces get really long just after like the first two times you tie them. And so you got these really big bunny ears, you know, so you got to like, I double knot them and then you can either double, double knot them where it's like four knots on top of each other. I'll show you in person, Billy. It's a lot easier. To I'm going to have to. Yeah, I'm going to do some. Google now I actually just like double knot and then I flip it over, cross it through, and then I tuck it under my feet. Wow. Okay. So, yes, pregame ritual. Interesting shoe tying technique. Any <laughs> uh, any pregame snacks, any special juice, Gatorade, anything like that? Uh, so we have we have body armor in the uh, the locker room and I've been crushing some body armor this year. 
Okay. I love body armor. Okay. Um, and then also this, this electrolyte powder called SOS fire. So fire. good. Yeah. So like if you're about to sweat a lot or you dehydrated, you throw a couple of scoops in there. Good to go. Like so SOS been, and body armor. This is a, this, this is a marketing opportunity for you all. It's this been, uh, so it's been really hot in St. Louis and kind of everywhere we go. So the electrolytes, when you're sitting out in the bullpen baking, you need to replenish your, your salt. And so you grab some SOS and good to go. SOS and you're good to go. SOS, also the abbreviation of Sons of Saturday. Pat, what is your, what is your, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Sons of Salt, Sons of Spotify. What are the pregame songs that you are rocking to before you go to the pen? Um, So there's never one. I mean, I guess I always listen to my walkout, which is Chip by the Real McKenzie's, but I don't really, I listen to a bunch of different stuff. Like my Spotify playlist has everything. I don't, I, I like all music. So it kind of just depends what shuffle has on, 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 on next. No skips in Packy's uh, impact. Uh, no, there are skips. So you can't okay. like some, I don't know. There's certain stuff you can't listen to. No star is born before a game. Yeah, no, no stars. Well, yeah, I'm not listening to to uh, Hugh Jackman in uh, The Greatest Showman. You know, like I'm just whoa, not doing whoa, that. whoa. I, I don't know, I man. Mean. I might listen to that before. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, might get, that might get me going. Uh, <laughs> Robert Irby wanted to ask your opinion on the shift. I'm interested to hear. Do pitchers like the shift? Do they not like the shift? What is your opinion on the shift? Uh, so I mean, everybody is gonna. So I mean. You got pitches that are like, oh, every time, every time I we have the shift on, you know, they hit it, they they beat the shift, or and then the two times that it goes into the shift and we get out with it, you don't hear anything. So it's just like, I, I think you should be able to move your defense. I don't think that you should be able to have every single guy on one side of the field, and like I think that space out a little bit, but I think that you should be able to have a guy up the middle. You should be able to have a guy closer in a hole. You know, you should be able to move your defense like that. I don't think that you should be able to totally ban everything, but I think the super drastic uh, shifts, you know, kind of weird. You know, Virginia Tech, if you watch the football game, sometimes we see the robot dog doing push-ups. What is your opinion on robot umps? Oh, um so I threw to it. I, th- I threw to the robotic umpire system in uh, Charlotte this year, earlier in April, and I didn't have any issues with it. I didn't. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't think I'd like to have it in the big leagues, just because. I mean, you can you can steal strikes and you can you know figure out ways to kind of get good. And, and it takes catching being a good catcher out of out of the equation. You know, then it's going to be you know hitting first catchers, which Hitting is a very important part of catching, but so the catching is an art. And, you know, people that know baseball know when they watch a good catcher and they see a good catcher receive and see how well he handles the staff and how much it actually benefits the staff to have a catcher back there that knows how to catch and how to call a game. And, you know, it's just good back there. What about Sam Jesse wants to know your opinion on the pitch clock? This is something that really affected basketball. Russell Westbrook 
had a problem with the 15 seconds to shoot a free throw. Giannis had a uh, problem with uh, 15 seconds to shoot a free throw. Has the pitch clock affected you at all or the mound visiting rule? So mound visiting rule, no. I don't – I mean, I don't really – that's whatever. But um, the pitch clock, it's weird because – so it does speed up the game. So I, I did play with the pitch clock down in AAA for a couple of games as well. And, like – down there, it, it you're moving. I forget. I think it's 14 seconds out of the windup from the second you get the ball back from the catcher, and you're on the dirt. You have 14 seconds to start your delivery to home. And you know sometimes, like you throw two balls in a row, you want to step off, and you, you know you want to take a couple of deep breaths. And those deep breaths may be eight seconds, so you you have no time to do it. Like you're quite literally out of breath in between innings. You have two minutes and 15 seconds, I think, maybe 225, uh, 215, I think. Um, to warm up and get the ball and, and be on the mound and ready to deliver a pitch by the time expiring. So I think it's very drastic and I don't think that it'll be this much like this shorter time and this quick. Um, but I do think that it speeds up the game for sure. And I think that, you know, I don't know if they're going to speed up the game, then I think that hitters need to be ready and be in the box as well. So it's just, just depends on how it's all played out and what the actual rules are, what the actual time is going to be, see where it goes. So we're going to jump into letters from the lunch pail. It's our last segment. Uh, we had some great fan engagement with some questions, and we're going to start it off with with we're going to start off with a heater. This segment is brought to you by Sharkies. Packies love Sharkies. We love Sharkies. Sharkies is great. Head on down. We'll be there all fall for football games. All right, Pat, kick it off. Kick off letters to the lunch pail, Pat. <laughs> All right, Matt Martin says, fellow Boston Latin alumni here, did growing up in Mass add any sort of difficulties when it came to developing as a baseball player? Yeah, definitely. That's why I live in Florida now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, during the wintertime, I mean, your, your, your training is limited to being inside from, the, from November until – March and in that time you may have a couple of days where you can go outside and throw and it's still 40 45 degrees out but you go out and do it anyways um being able to play year round and focus solely on baseball at my age is kind of imperative to me just because I like being outside being loose and being hot and not, I like seeing ball flight and not throwing into a net and you know when you're up there like that's kind of all you have to do. And during the the winter time, when I was younger, like the question says, you know, it's hard because, you know, you're throwing into a net and then you, you don't get out and play on a field till April when all these teams in Florida, Florida high school baseball such in January, you know, like in January, I'm lucky if I can throw 90 feet inside, you know, so it's just, you, you have so much more room for development, but also, you know, sometimes, sometimes you get burnt out, you know, you may over, work yourself in baseball as a young kid. If, if you're 12, 13 and just playing baseball year round and not switching sports, like I was playing basketball and doing other things when I was growing up because it was fun and it was a different season. Like down in Florida, you may not do that. So, you know, there are pros and cons definitely to growing up in, in, in the Northern environments for sure. Next question. We got an analytics question. This is from our analytics dude, Shelton Moss. Shout out to Shelton Moss. He says, in today's age of strikeouts, do you think there is still an art to pitching to contact? It looks like you rely on your changeup a lot as a secondary pitch, and you don't allow a lot of hard hit balls. So, how do you throw your pitches in a way that induces weak contact? 
Yeah, that's that, that. Like I said earlier, like that's my game. You know, being a like I I have to rely on pitching and and you know using my sinker and my to to make my changeup effective and using my changeup to make my sinker effective and throwing a four seam fastball inside to get them off of that changeup. You know, there's just always there's always a way that you can get guys out even if you don't have nasty stuff. Um, so yeah, the, the way the strikeout, like that's the way that people are going now. And in all honesty, strikeouts will come, you know, if, if you need to punch a guy out, you probably got the stuff. You definitely have the stuff you've gotten a strikeout before in your life. You can get it. You can, you can strike someone out, you know? So, um, pitching to contact, I don't think that it's becoming obsolete, but I think that it's kind of more imperative now, especially where, you know, starting pitchers are only going so many innings to be able to go and get quick outs and be effective quickly. I think there's something to be said for that. So this next one is from the Fod Rod of Oz. He says to Mr. Naughton, I know it's a long time from now, but when your career has played out and you retire, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to say about you? Thank you and all the best, Justin. So, yeah, yeah, love letter is coming that's, in. Look at that wow. love letter from the lunch big, That's Thank a big you. time I question. That. <laughs> um, uh, like you said, that is very far ways away, and and I have quite literally had about three weeks of of you know throwing the ball pretty well, and you know three consistent weeks. So you know, I just want to keep that going right now, and you know, I'm not not really focused on long term goals, but I mean, long term goals, you know, long term goals, you know, you. you I just want to win, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I've kind of been unfortunate in my baseball career with losing quite a bit. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of done with losing. Um, and I just want to win as much as possible in my career. So I just want to be, you know, I want to a be a good teammate. That's the most important thing, being a good guy in the clubhouse and, you know, being a joy to be around because you're around the same guys every day, you know, you want to, you know, try to make the clubhouse fun and, and hopefully, you know, you don't step on anyone's toes. Um, and you know, you're just trying to have a good time essentially. So being a good teammate and winning, that's what I want. That's all I want. Next question comes from Andy Brannon. What was different about facing big name hitters last year to this year? As you gain more experience, as you're stepping into the spotlight, is it different facing Mookie Betts this year than it was last year? Is it different facing Fernando Tatis last year? He's hurt now, but if you face him now, um, has it changed at all? Or have you always had the same approach? No, it's kind of always the same approach, you know? I mean, there's still guys, there's still, you know, the best ones in the league are going to get out 65% of the time, the best ones. And that, that's that's quite literally a first ballot Hall of Famer easily if you get out 65% of the time. So, I mean, at the end of the day, no, they're, they're just another person that steps in the box that I that is trying to prevent me from doing my job. And I have to prevent him from doing his job. So, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, it's just another person in the batter's box. Joey Sullivan says, what level of pro slash minor league ball would he equate the ACC to? Uh, probably say low A, high A, somewhere in there, somewhere in A ball. Um. Yeah, I'd probably say a ball somewhere. I'm not too sure where, um, but somewhere in there. And actually, I don't really know anymore with the the way that the the league is now with having low A as the lowest level. 
you know, when I got in, you had rookie ball, short season, low A, high A. So there were a lot, a couple more levels. Um, so I'd probably say somewhere in low A, high A area. Sam Jesse would like to know what's the mentality different from being a middle inning reliever or coming into close. Yeah, I mean, you kind of. I I like to think of it all as the same mentality. You know, I need to go in and I need to be efficient and I need to get outs at the end of the day. Your job is to go in and get three outs. That's that's quite literally the definition of, of the job. So whether it's closing, middle relief, setup, coming in for a hold, coming in in the second inning, it, it doesn't matter. You know, you always just got to kind of be on the attack and go get in, get out, and get those outs, baby. Last three here. Uh, first one comes from uh, Steven Sawpaw, and he asks, do you see yourself as a future closer? I know you've started before. You've been a reliever before. Um, do you have a personal goal of being a reliever, of being a closer? What What is your thought process on that? Honestly, I haven't really thought about that at all. Like, I, I just, I just want to pitch. I want to do whatever I can to get in the game and and help us win at the end of the day. You know, I, I, in all honesty, I really have not thought about that at all. This question is from me. What is your favorite non-baseball memory from Virginia Tech? Oh boy. There are a lot of those. Um, <laughs> ah, Virginia Tech. Ah, I love that place. Um, I'd probably say non-baseball related, probably be the snow day my sophomore year. Epic day. An epic, epic day. Oh, epic. <laughs> An epic day. What happened? Um, what happened? What happened we'll on this day? It sounds like there's some some fun uh, shenanigans that went down. <laughs> shenanigans is the correct word for that. <laughs> shenanigans were had on the uh, on the snow day sophomore year and 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 every day every year after. At, at the Villaggio. um i guess i guess piggybacking off of that question what is your relationship with virginia tech now i know coach mason is no longer there coach jeff is running things a historic baseball season this year um which i know you've been following and keeping up with what is your relationship like what has it been like to watch virginia tech climb to the heights that uh quite frankly not a lot of people thought may have been possible you know, it's awesome to see them climb and, you know, I'm super, super happy and, and proud of those guys down there that what they've done and, and, you know, the players down there, the energy that they bring. And, you know, I, I just, I, I love what they do for, for Virginia tech and how they represent the school and represent the baseball program really well. Um, I've talked to a few of them. I know Nick Bittison, I talked to him a decent amount. Um, but coaching staff, I don't really, I never played for any of them. So, you know, I don't, I'm not too familiar with them and really don't, don't really talk much, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, Coach Boleyn, I actually keep in touch with a, a little bit. and He's the man. I absolutely love Coach Boleyn um, and a couple other people in the athletic department. So um, it's, it's always nice to go back. You know, it's, it's, it always is. I mean, everybody knows it's home, you know, Virginia Tech is and always will be. So it's pretty cool. Last question we have comes from Michael Sawpaw. Yes, another Sawpaw writing in. Uh, he's curious, and I'm curious. How do how do paychecks work in Major League Baseball? Are you charged? Are you double taxed if you pitch in Toronto? How 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 does that work? Or is this all with Mister Finance Man? How how are you handling all of this? 
So I don't know about Canada. I truly don't know about what it is here. But yeah, I mean, I get taxed whatever city we play in. So if we play in Los Angeles, I'll get taxed in LA. If we get playing in Boston, I get taxed in Boston, Florida, Florida. Like it just, that's just how it is. We get an entertainer's tax. And so we kind of, and that's at the end of the year, when we're, or I guess the beginning of the year when I'm filing taxes, you, you got to file in every state you play in. So I don't know. Finance man. Tacky, I have a hard, I have a hard time believing Packy that you're hopping on turbo tax. Come on. You gotta have, you gotta have somebody taking care of that for you. And if not, a guy. yeah, we gotta get, we gotta get a guy. I need a guy. Cause I I've made, I've made several mistakes. On that, I, I don't, I don't. You know me too well to think that I <laughs> am able to do my own taxes. Come on. <laughs> Packy Norton loves pitching in Texas. He loves pitching in Florida. He probably does not love pitching in California. But anyway, you got to go out there and you got to show. So that is what it is. Packy Norton, this is your time. I got to thank you. 1057. This guy's in another country. He's traveling all over the place. I was late, stuck in traffic, in Boston traffic, mind you. Um, so had a little trouble on the Tobin. I actually wasn't supposed to go over the Tobin. I, Why were you on the Tobin? I was going the wrong way. I, I I went on 80 East instead of 80 West, and I ended up going North, and you know I got all turned around. Um, you know but hey, what, what can you do? What can you do? Rookie mistake. What is your well, departing message? Shout outs. Um, this is your time, Packy. This is your time to say whatever you would like. Well, thank you to you guys. I mean, this was a blast. and I, I mean, I absolutely love talking to you guys, so um, – Thank you again. Long time coming back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Back. And marketing man, Billy. This is all <laughs> Billy's big plan. <laughs> um, but thank you. And, uh, you know, just go Hokies. I I, I love Virginia Tech. I owe them so much. Um, you know, I, I became who I am today. And I grew so much as an individual at Virginia Tech. And every time I go back, you know, every time we go back, it's it's always fun. There's never not a weekend I leave there where I don't miss it even the slightest. So, you know, just love Virginia Tech and I can't wait to go back this fall and, you know, hang out with the boys and go to Sharky's on a Thursday night, Thursday afternoon for some drinks, a happy hour, a couple Long Island iced teas, maybe. Get in the Have Maybe have a little snow day without the snow. How about that? <laughs> um, <laughs> But follow me on Instagram, Packy underscore Naughton. Let's do it. Packy underscore Naughton. Follow him. Packy, proud of you. Love you. We appreciate your time. And we're looking forward to the rest of the season. The back half. Tune in. Cardinals baseball. to wander tripping in the sand we smoke out windows drink till we can't stand but i saw you dance like you want to in my head and all that she said is oh i know just what you're thinking please don't go to slice and trash your friend's place wake up the next day
your head. 